And let's take a look at this video from uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the French Fresh Prince, <laughs> or at least the Fresh Prince. Love this one. Fail early, fail often, fail forward. Um, you know, it's always a little bit frustrating to me when, when people have a negative relationship with failure. Failure is a massive part of being able to be successful. You have to get comfortable with failure. You have, you have to actually seek failure. Failure is where all of the lessons are. You know, when you go to the gym and you work out, you're actually seeking failure. You want to take your muscles to the point where you get to failure because that's where the, the adaptation is. That's where growth is. Successful people fail a lot. They fail a whole lot more than they succeed, but they extract the lessons from the failure and they use that energy and they use the wisdom to come around to the next phase of success you gotta take a shot you have to live at the edge of your capabilities you gotta live where you're almost certain you're gonna fail that's the reason for practice practice is controlled failure you're getting to your limit getting to your limit getting to your limit you can't lift that you can't do that you until you get to the point that all of a sudden your body makes the adjustment and then you can do it failure uh, actually helps you to recognize the areas where you need to evolve so fail early fail often fail forward All right, welcome to church where we were encouraging you to fail. Anyway, uh, I think failure is one of those things we can all relate to, right? Um, because of the people we live around. Anyway, um, no, I don't want to fail in this, actually, because I had uh, Caleb Livingston. He came up to me at uh, communion. And we do notice, you guys, you get a kick out of this, we do notice some of you have favorites for communion, like you go to certain people, maybe they, they're nicer to you or something, I don't know what that's about. But anyway, Caleb, he loves for Claire to give communion to him. And uh, so his only question at communion today was, where is Pastor Claire? So, um, you know, he had to, he, he was not going to go without communion, but he had to suffer through it with me. But anyway... Um, yeah, Claire's out of town today at some training. She sends her love, and uh, I don't want to fail and not mention that because I know some of the rest of you probably maybe didn't even come up for communion because Claire wasn't here today. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she loves you. We love you guys so much. Um, we, are, we are headed, we had a great Resurrection Sunday, didn't we? I hope you guys had a great Resurrection Sunday. Easter Sunday, so awesome. We started a new series, Happy New Life. We're going to be continuing that. And really, we're going to move into the early church. We're going to move into the book of Acts. But I felt like we couldn't go to the book of Acts quite yet until we did a little bit of business that I think we will, before we're done today, we'll even see that uh, the authors of Scripture paid some attention to a failure uh, that needed to be addressed, and most importantly, Jesus addressed it, and I think it's so relevant for all of our lives because we all fail. We've all failed. We have not lived up to everything uh, that we want to, and we will fail again. So it's important that we uh, understand how Jesus approaches us, and I think there's no better example in Scripture, or if there is, I'm I'm not sure, but um, as Peter 
Um, and as we know, Peter, or maybe you're familiar with, Peter denies Jesus three times um, before Jesus goes to the cross, and he's heartbroken over it. So uh, it's powerful. If you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 21. Um, and I also want to read the scripture out of Mark. If we could read the scripture out of Mark, we've read it once, but let's read it again. Let's read this together. Now, this is Mark. This is near the end of Mark's gospel. And uh, so the, the um, resurrection has happened, obviously, and this is what it says. Let's read together. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Notice the special attention given to Peter. Tell the disciples, and then specifically, the angel says, tell Peter, because there is some attention, not just for Peter, but I think for us, to, um, to look into Peter's life and to see how Jesus approached Peter and how he might be approaching us. So anyway, John chapter 21 uh, is where we'll kind of camp out today. I don't even know if I'll get to my outline because this scripture is so thick and so rich, but there will be plenty that we're going to talk about. So um, John chapter 21. Now, it's interesting what happens here is um, this is John chapter 21 almost seems like a chapter in the scripture. It's after the resurrection. Um, You'll even notice if, uh, let me read to you, we don't have this for the screen. Let me read to you the end of John chapter 20, all right? John chapter 20, so Jesus is resurrected from the dead. This is all important for us to understand. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and then there's the interaction that he has with a guy named Thomas. Thomas says, you know, unless I can put my hand in his side, if I can feel the scars, I'm not going to believe. Jesus literally comes through a wall, says, how do you like me now, Thomas? And Thomas all of a sudden says, hey, this is pretty good <laughs> enough, you know, I, I, I believe. Uh, and, and, you know, and then, so there's that powerful moment with Thomas. And then John chapter 20, this is how John chapter 20 ends, it says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in other words, John chapter 20, it feels like the end of the book of John. That, that is what, that's a statement that you'd make at the end. It's almost like you can hear the music at the end of the movie playing as John 20 comes to a close, says, you know, there's many other miraculous signs. They're not going to be written down here. And, uh, and you could see credits begin to roll, literally. And then there's this addendum that happens in John chapter 21, and it's powerful. And this is what the scripture says. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So afterward, after the resurrection, after he's appeared to the disciples, after um, he has appeared to Thomas. However, at this point, John's gospel is loaded. It's like Peter carries the narrative. Peter's story His life story is so um, clear in the book of John, it shows up, as it does in the other Gospels, but it really shows up. He's the main kind of, uh, one of the main characters in the story. 
And that's the first thing for us to realize is the resurrection of Jesus is not just about the resurrection of Jesus. It's not just the good news about Jesus. It's the good news about people like Peter. It's about the resurrection of people like Peter. It's about your resurrection. The gospel is not just good news about Jesus. It's about good news for us and to us. And we see it in Peter. So Peter's showing up in this narrative. And at this point, all that we know as you're reading through the scripture is you know that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Peter has been thick through the uh, gospel of John, and all of a sudden he doesn't show up. And it's almost as if John says, we have got to address Peter and what happened with Peter. So after the resurrection, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called Didymus, some other versions, more accurately it would be Thomas the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Let's stop right there. How would you feel if you were those two other disciples? I mean, really, it's like Simon Peter, he, so he gets kind of first name, last name, right? Then you've got Thomas, uh, Didymus, you get his nickname, right? You get the geography of you get the geography of Nathaniel, where he's from, literally, you know, like Scott from Melvindale, and then the two other disciples. I mean, do, if that were you, this is your one shot at being in the Bible. Wouldn't you feel disrespected? Like this is in our day, this is the equivalent of those of you that, for instance, do Facebook. You know, and, and you go on Facebook and you see those pictures. What do they tag you or something? So there'd be like a half dozen people in the picture and everybody's tagged except you. Like your picture's there, but your name's not there. Or have you ever been in one of those pictures, like it's a group shot, and then you find somebody showing the group shot, but you're all of a sudden gone? Like you're not in the picture? That's the treatment here. And then the other two guys, these other couple guys. So apparently, John, for whatever reason, it's just the other two guys, okay? The two other disciples, they're together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So this is interesting. This is Peter, for those of you that don't know this, this, is, this was Peter's profession. Peter, in Luke chapter 5, which is a great scripture to contrast because in Luke chapter 5 is where we get the description of Peter coming to Christ, his initial response to Christ. And it's almost identical to this interaction, but then there's some really big differences. In other words, Jesus has Peter go out and fish in Luke 5. They bring in this huge haul of fish. Peter ends up giving his life to Christ and then he follows Jesus. He walks away from his business. Now we're on the other side of that. He has denied Jesus three times. He has failed. Peter's the guy that made the comments like, look, Jesus, I know these other folks might fail you. I know these other people might let you down, but I will never let you down. I'm not like that. I am all in. I am 100% in. Other people, they'll do it, but I'll never do it. And then Jesus says to him, well, 
before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, Peter, at one point, he does, he denies him three times. At one point, it's a teenage girl. Says, hey, aren't you one of those disciples? Aren't you the one? I saw you with Jesus. He, he denies, he starts swearing, he's cutting off ears. He's doing all kinds of stuff, right? So Peter, the one that just would never let Jesus, all in, right? And I think he's sincere about it. But now he has failed. Imagine what it felt like when the cock crowed. I mean, I've been uh, in Haiti multiple times, and one of the things I really dislike are the, are the roosters, because they're like messed up in Haiti. They're like, they're, you'll hear them at like two in the morning. And when you're generally on a mission trip, you hear groaning and moaning, and sometimes some people do, using Peter's kind of cussing language, at the roosters, because it's like, would you just shut up? That, imagine your denial is being reminded to you by a rooster. The scripture says the rooster crows at least twice to remind him of his failure probably wanted to have that rooster for dinner or something. But he, the one that is sure he would never fail, fails. Jesus says, you're going to do it. You're going to fail me. So Peter, the fisherman, does what a lot of us do in one form or another. Peter caves, right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever, have you ever failed in your faith? Failed? Have you ever made, maybe you haven't made that kind of statement, maybe as strong as Peter, maybe you don't have that kind of personality that you would be making those kinds of statements, like I'll never fail you, Jesus. I'll never turn my back on you, Jesus. But if you were honest, you would say, yes, there have been times that I have failed. I had, and, and, and maybe it's created embarrassment, I have a time, a situation in my life that I will never forget shortly after I gave my life to Christ. I had a, a handful of really good friends. I was very close to the guys I played sports with and stuff. And, um, you know, we, we kind of did the same drill. I, I, as Claire has said before, I wasn't somebody that did a lot of, I, well, I didn't do any drugs, I didn't do that, but I did drink before I gave my life to Christ, you know, in high school. Um, and it was just a part of what I did with the friends that I had at that point, but it wasn't like excessive, but it was illegal. Um, I was 17, 18 years old. Anyway, it was just how we were together. When I gave my life to Christ, I gave that away. I gave it up. That was part of what I gave up because there was a way that I was with my friends that just was not healthy and good and right. It wasn't honoring of God. So anyway, um, we were, I I had some friends over. We were watching, actually it was a Michigan-Ohio State game. I'll never forget it. Claire and I were just married and I so wanted these guys to come to Christ. And I had been praying for them. I certainly had been talking to them and I thought this is going to be an awesome opportunity for me to live in a different way in front of them. I hadn't been with them in, a, in, in a, a while, and they came over to our house. We're watching the game, and it gets into the fourth quarter, and 
they've been drinking the whole game. They've been doing stuff that we did together. And I'm just sitting there just trying to be a good witness to them. And sure enough, fourth quarter rolls around. Michigan was probably getting beat or something, so I decided I was going to drink. Um, that's only a joke. It might have been true, but uh, that wasn't why I did it. But I just I, I went there. I just did what I was convinced I wasn't going to do and I needed to not do to make sure that I had a voice with my friends. And I was so embarrassed. I can so relate to Peter at a, at a level, like the, the, the failure. And just thinking, you know what, I let Jesus down. And thinking, how could he ever be good with that with me? How could he ever, how could he ever like fully accept me after I screwed up like that? Will my friends be able to get to heaven because of what I did? So if you've never failed or you've never caved and you've never gone back to certain things, maybe this is hard for you to relate to, but I think for most of us, You may not have done what I did. You may not have done what Peter did. But man, it's heartbreaking. So Peter is embarrassed. He's humiliated. He doesn't know what's going on because at this point, he's just so discouraged. And the scripture says that he goes fishing, which is what we do. This is what we do. We go back to that old way of doing things. We go back to the old rhythm because we feel like in that, maybe we'll feel some traction. Because certainly, since we have failed God, in this way, maybe we can, we can get our life back in some way. And it's interesting, so the disciples go fishing with him. It's not really wrong for him to go fishing, right? He's going fishing. It's familiar to him. He goes fishing. But it's just indicative of how we turn back to our old way of doing things. So the other disciples go fishing with them, and the Scripture says that they fish all night. You ever fish all night? I mean, you ever go back to that old thing? Like maybe back to that old girlfriend or the old boyfriend or the old way of living because you're discouraged and you feel like you're disappointed or you're heartbroken? I just think, maybe this will give me some relief. And the scripture says they fish all night long. Just throwing that net out. All night. Nothing. And you find that in your failure, I think fortunately when we go back to that old thing, it feels like we're just throwing a net in the dark. We go back to that thing hoping for some relief because of the disappointment in our lives. And the scripture says they fish all night and they don't get anything. Same thing that happens in Luke chapter 5. Back to the old pattern. Back to the old way. Too discouraged to move forward. So it's at that point, after fishing all night, this this is what the scripture says. It says, early in the morning, 
It says, we'll go with you. Let me read the whole scripture. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing because you never catch anything when you go back to the old thing. I didn't catch anything that day I was with my friends. There was no fish in the net throwing that net out. And the discouragement increases. So it says early in the morning, Jesus let some fish all night. Early in the morning, Jesus stands on the shore. Now they don't know that it's Jesus. And he calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now first of all, more, more accurately, that term there, friends, is children. So that's pretty humiliating for a bunch of men that are fishermen, or at least one that's a fisherman, right? Children, haven't you caught any fish? And then they say no, and then he answers, throw the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So not only, first of all, he says, children, haven't you caught any fish? So you got Peter, at least, the fisherman, so that's kind, of, that's kind of, it would be easy to, now he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, right? So that could be easy to feel like he's, they're being demeaned, right? Children, haven't you caught any fish? Hey, kids, you got anything? No, as a matter of fact, we don't. And you've got to remember, Peter's the guy that's got that personality that isn't afraid to say anything. He's not afraid to say it to Jesus when he knows it's Jesus. He certainly wouldn't have been afraid to say it when he doesn't know it's Jesus, right? It's like, no. You can almost hear it, no. As a matter of fact, we haven't caught anything. And then he says, well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. So, again, same thing that he does in the book of Luke when, when Peter comes to know him in the first place. Because here's what's key. The whole process is restorative of Peter's life. He's bringing him back to, certain, to a certain way, and this is what he does in our lives, to meet us in that place, but then he begins to add more to the, to the encounter than happened the first time around. So he says, throw the net on the other side. And you can almost picture Peter saying, well, looking at those two guys that don't have a name, and say, you two throw it. You guys aren't doing anything. You two throw the net on the other side of the boat, right? It's like you no-name guys. So they throw the net out of the boat or whoever does it. And the, the fish, it's a haul, right? When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. It's amazing. So then the disciples get so good. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, let's stop there a minute. Now again, if you're the two guys without a name, how do you feel about the guy saying, now the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's like, I don't even have a name in the story, and you're talking about how much Jesus loves you, right? Those guys are just getting beat up. Maybe it's good we don't know who they are. Anyway, the two other, I'm sorry, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord And as Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment on him, for it had been taken off, and he jumped jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards, and when they landed, they saw a fire 
All right, so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. So um, I don't know many people. Maybe Michael Phelps can do this, but most people. So this is what happens, all right? They get the haul of fish. Peter jumps out of the boat. He starts swimming. He's thrashing around, right? Because he's, he's Peter, and, that's, and Peter is us. And he's thrashing, and he's doing all he can, giving all the effort he can to get in the shore. And in the meantime, you can almost picture it, right? They're rowing. Hey, Peter, you want to jump in or... I mean, you don't have to do that. You ever been there where somebody gets really mad? Maybe it was you. And, uh, and you're like driving down the street. And it's like, hey, uh, you can get in the car. You don't have to walk. No, I'm not getting in the car or whatever they're doing, right? That's the, that's the picture here. They're rowing. They're like, hey, this is awesome. It's Jesus. We're going to row in. We're going to enjoy this boat ride. Peter thrashing away because he's going to do it on his own, Right? And you start to pick up something about who we are and what we do, not just who Peter is and what Peter does. When they landed, they saw the fire burning coals, and there it was with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. So here he is, he swims to shore. Now they're already on shore because even rowing is going faster than the swimming, right? Then when he says, bring the fish onto the shore, Peter, because this is who Peter is and this is how we get, Peter jumps back on the boat because he's certainly not going to let anybody else haul the fish in. He's going to prove, it's like I'm bringing the fish in. Jesus wants the fish, I'm bringing the fish in. He brings the fish in. The scripture says... It was full of fish, 153. Now, do you know um, what the symbolism of that 153 fish is? It's, 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 it symbolizes absolutely nothing. It's like random. It just keep, keeps getting worse. Like John re- remembers that there's 153 fish in the net, but he can't remember the two guys' names. So, I mean, it just keeps getting worse for them. But also what's really cool about that is this is one of those moments in Scripture where, uh, you know, you hear people will question whether or not Scripture is authentic and different things like that. This is one of those places where you realize that these accounts are, are written. These are things that would not, if this were a legend, in other words, you would not put this in the Scripture, it would have some kind of, always would have some kind of symbolic meaning. So to put these kinds of details and these, at times, this isn't an embarrassing detail, but it just proves, uh, again, that we're not talking about legend here. So Simon Peter climbs aboard, drags the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153. Even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, if you're familiar With Luke chapter 5, what happens is when the net, the story is very similar, but when they, when they, they get the haul of fish, the net begins to break. And something significant has happened in the process of what God has been doing in the lives of these disciples that they're ready for the miraculous to happen in their lives. Before, the miracle broke nets. Now, the miracle does not break nets. 
there is something in, in the process of their faith. There is something in the process of your faith that, that if, you, if you lean in consistently to God, you begin to be able to handle what God really wants to give you. I, here's a question. Have you ever thought about what if, whatever your prayers are today, what if God really answered them the way you wanted them to be answered? Would you even be able to handle the catch? Or would your net break? If, if what you're asking for happened, are you ready for that? What would you do with that? Have you even thought about it? So there's something in Jesus being with these disciples that they are now at a place where they're ready to contain and steward over the miracle. So 153, and then Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Now, if, if, if you're paying attention to the story, if we're paying attention to the story, we notice something about Peter clearly. Now, Jesus already, when he says, bring the fish ashore, already has fish. You ever wonder where Jesus gets the fish? Who's his fish supplier? It's like he's always got fish, right? He tells them to bring the fish in, but the scripture says in verse 9, which is before he tells them to bring the fish in, says he's already having the barbecued fish. He's got the charcoal grill going, and he's, he's got the fish going. He has them bring the fish in, and What you see with Peter and what God is trying to transform in his life is that Peter is going to do all of this on his own. He's going to bring the fish ashore. He's going to swim. He's not going to get in the boat. He's not going to take the easy way. He's going to prove to God that he is good enough. He has failed, so now he's going to to prove to God that he's worth his salt. And Jesus is trying to get him to be honest about that. And he says to them, come and have breakfast. See, when Jesus went to the cross, his last statement wasn't, it wasn't 90% of this is finished. And 10% of this is your job. Therefore, you have got to work really hard he, he didn't say that. He said, it is finished. I've done everything that's needed to be done here. Now come and have breakfast. Come on ashore and let's have, bre- let's have communion, which is what they did. So I just have a question. When you think about this story, what best describes you? Are you best described better by the swimming, fish hauling, towing the line for Jesus? Or are you best described by the one that is having breakfast with Jesus on the beach? See, don't get me wrong. I think that we don't 
we don't work hard to be, we don't work hard to be accepted by God. That's what the story is really about. And then Jesus goes into, you can keep reading it. This is where Jesus restores Peter, and it's a flip of Peter's denial. He, he's, he has him by a fire, which is where Peter denies him. And he begins this process of undoing what Peter had done. Jesus is thorough with the restoration process. But there is no doubt that as Christ followers, we should be people that work hard, that are in, engaged in our faith, But we don't do it to be accepted by God. It's because we're accepted by God that we, therefore, want to work hard. Do you you understand the distinction? So the question for all of us to consider as as we pull this together is just this, is what best describes you? Would you say of your life on this day that you would say, man, I feel like Peter, I feel like I'm the water thrasher and I'm trying to, you know, drag fish ashore, trying to prove something to Jesus? Or are you the kind of person that would say, I'm really comfortable just coming on the beach and sitting down at Jesus' feet, breaking bread? listening to him talk, allowing him to bring me what he thinks I need. There is no failure in your life that is too great for the grace of God. There is nothing that you and I have done that, first of all, we could ever do enough to make that right. Your failure, my failure, are not living up to the desires that God has for our life. There's nothing that you can't haul enough fish. You can't swim far enough. But there is a God that sets a fire on a beach, makes a meal Scripture says in Psalm that creates a table for us in the presence of our enemies and then breaks bread with us. So as we pray today, I want you to consider where you're at with that. And I want to pray with you. And I just want you to to try to picture yourself, even as we pray, picture yourself on that beach picture yourself sitting there with Jesus and allow the love and acceptance that Jesus had for Peter to saturate your life on this day. So Father, all across this room, every one of us, our life, it's, it's so unique and so different. But you know every one of us and you know every situation. We're, we so love that the scripture not just pays attention to people like Peter, but in, in so doing pays attention to us, that it speaks to us, so reflective of our lives. So on this day, God, we position ourselves before you at the fire, before we move into the book of Acts and the rest of this series, we get this piece right. 
We set all of our failure, all of our shortcoming, all of our disappointments in ourself and the way we've disappointed you maybe at times. We place that before you and we receive your goodness. We receive the bread of life. We receive the nourishment that can only come from you. We love you. God, I pray, especially for any of my friends in this room that have never given their life to Christ. I pray that just that striving that happens in our lives when we're just trying to measure up and trying to live up to something, that that could be let go, that on this day, that could be let go, and that they could turn to you, and that you would meet them in that place. So, Father, in the powerful, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus, we accept, or we receive your acceptance. We receive your grace. We receive your love. We receive, God, your goodness in our lives. And now I bless my friends. And I pray this week that they could just allow this story of Peter's life to ruminate in them and saturate them, encourage them. So let this week, as we receive your blessing, let this week be a week full of your presence and empowerment. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, be blessed. Have a wonderful week. If you get a chance, read that scripture in Luke chapter 5 and look at some of those parallels as well. God bless you guys.